The old pilot's plain tales. Murder on the flight deck. I'm on a short holiday, so won't be on the show this week. However, I would hate to leave you without a plain tale, so here are a couple of short stories of great significance. It was the 7th of May 1964, and Pacific Airlines Flight 773 was heading off from Reno to San Francisco via Stockton, California. The aircraft was a Fairchild F-27 twin-engine turboprop with 33 passengers on board and being flown by the 52-year-old captain Ernest Clark and his younger first officer Ray Andress. In the cabin, looking after the passengers, was flight attendant Margaret Schaefer. On arriving at Stockton, a couple of passengers got off and ten climbed on for the final leg to San Francisco, bringing the total number to 41. The disembarking passengers noted that sitting directly behind the cockpit was a brooding passenger, Francisco Gonzalez. Gonzalez was a warehouse worker living in San Francisco, but his life was in turmoil. Hadn't always been like that. In the past, he had represented the Philippines in the 1960 Summer Olympics as part of the sailing team, but now things had gone bad. He was deeply in debt, and nearly half of his income was committed to loan repayments. The strain was causing his marriage to fall apart, and over the preceding months, during fits of depression, he had told his friends and relatives that he would die on May the 6th or 7th. During the preceding week, he had bought himself a Smith & Weston 357 Magnum from a friend of a friend, and the day before his trip, he had shown the gun to numerous people at the airport and even told one person that he intended to kill himself. He had taken himself off to Reno and spent the night gambling, mentioning to the casino dealer that he didn't care how much he lost because it wouldn't make any difference after tomorrow. Now on the last leg of his return flight, Gonzalez sat staring at the flight deck door. The aircraft took off and was about ten minutes out of Stockton when Oakland Air Traffic Control Centre got a garbled call. It was later analysed and it was the last transmission from Flight 773's first officer, Ray Andres. Skipper's shot. We've been shot. I was trying to help. Then the radar return from the F-27 disappeared from the control centre displays. Oakland asked other aircraft to look out for it, and then a United Airlines flight called that they had a black cloud of smoke coming up through the undercast in their 3.30 or 4 o'clock. It looked like an oil or gasoline fire. Witnesses said that the Fairchild aircraft had suddenly gone into a steep dive and crashed into a rural hillside in southern Contra Costa County. Everyone on board was killed. At the time, Danville, near the scene of the disaster, was a one-horse town that had just become a two-horse town of about 13,000 people, and in the days after the crash, it swelled with investigators and the press who swarmed around the loved ones of the dead, 
who came to claim bodies that overflowed to a makeshift morgue at the village theatre. Investigators from the Civil Aeronautics Board and the Federal Bureau of Investigation examined the crash site and found the handgun that Gonzalez possessed among the tangled and burnt wreckage. The gun now held six spent cartridges. In the emotionless report that they issued, they stated that the total evidence clearly indicates that the captain and first officer of Flight 773 were shot by a passenger. As a result, the uncontrolled aircraft began the descent, which ended in impact with the hill. Postmortems showed that both pilots had been shot in the head from behind before Gonzalez had turned the weapon on himself. They also discovered that Gonzalez had purchased insurance at the airport before he left Reno worth $105,000 and named his wife as the beneficiary. There were many orphans created that day including the three daughters of Captain Ernie Clark. Julia Clark, however, didn't let the loss of her father crush her love of flying, and she went on to become one of the first female pilots to work for a major airline, and she contributed as an aerobatic airshow pilot for many years. In the aftermath of the crash, Civil air regulation amendments became effective that required the doors separating the passenger cabin from the crew compartment on all scheduled air carriers and commercial aircraft to be kept locked in flight. Sadly though, the change in regulations didn't completely prevent further incidents. And should you ever be in Atlanta airport and pass through the tunnel to security next to the United Airlines ticket counter in North Terminal, keep an eye out for the Eastern Airlines Pilots Memorial plaque. On it, you should look for the name Hartley, J.E., along with the date he was hired. When you find it, you might want to stand there for a moment and remember this story. For this second tale, we have moved on a few years from the awful crash of Flight 773, but only as far as 1970. The date was the 17th of March, and a DC-9 from Eastern Airlines was carrying 68 passengers from Newark up to Boston. It was St. Patrick's Day. There were the usual two pilots and three cabin crew to look after the passengers on that short flight. They weren't airborne long, about ten minutes or so, when the senior stewardess, Christine Peterson, started moving amongst the passengers to collect the fares. In those days, it was common for shuttle flight fares to be collected on board. As she approached a passenger, Mr. John DeVivo, a young man in his twenties in dark glasses and with a chain around his neck sporting a skull and crossbones, she asked for his $15.75. DeVivo claimed that he didn't have enough money to pay, and reaching inside his jacket, he then pulled out a handgun and demanded to see the captain. She led DeVivo up to the cockpit and asked if they could come in. When the pilots refused, she told him the man had a gun 
and the captain said, Well, bring him in here then. In today's world of flight deck security following 9-11, it might seem an act of madness to allow an armed hijacker into the cockpit. But in the 70s, the attitude to hijackings was very different. It was the usually accepted procedure to negotiate with hijackers, and in the main, to accede to their demands. The pilots may well have expected De Vivo to demand to be taken to Cuba, which was often the destination of choice. Most hijackings were made with specific aims, or perhaps publicity for a cause, putting pressure on governments, political asylum or monetary gain. They were the common reasons to take over an aircraft. Suicide was an extremely rare event. The common strategy tactic, which was approved by the United States, taught crew members to comply with the hijackers' demands, to get the plane to land safely and then let the security forces handle the situation. Armed with a 38 revolver, once in the cockpit, De Vivo demanded that the captain turn the aircraft out to sea. Just take me east, he said. Captain Robert Wilbur was in charge of the aircraft that day. He was a fairly new captain, having only been promoted six months earlier. He asked his flight attendant to return to the cabin and let the passengers know that everything was all right, and then he began to try to reason with De Vivo. Christine left, and for about 20 minutes it was all quiet. On the flight deck, the pilots discovered that their hijacker didn't have anywhere he wanted to go. He just ordered the pilots to fly over the sea until they ran out of fuel. As they headed out over the sea, without any warning, De Vivo shot first Officer Hartley in the chest, before turning to the captain and shooting Wilbur twice in the arms. Despite being grievously wounded, first Officer Hartley saw his chance and made a grab for the weapon. They fought, but Hartley managed to wrestle the weapon clear and shot De Vivo three times before he collapsed. The fight, though, wasn't over. Although wounded and lying between the pilot's seats, De Vivo rose up and began clawing at Wilbur, trying to make the aircraft crash. The captain retrieved the revolver from the centre console where it lay and hit the hijacker over the head, knocking him senseless. The passengers were only dimly aware of the battle until the cockpit door came open and two legs covered with blood stuck out. Knowing his fellow pilot was in deep trouble, Captain Wilbur wasted no time and landed his aircraft at Boston. It was very fast and very smooth, his passengers remarked. On clearing the runway, ignoring his own injuries, Wilbur called over the radio. My co-pilot is shot. Where the hell do you want me to park this thing? Five troopers met the aircraft and brought out the struggling De Vivo who was still alive. But sadly, the same couldn't be said for James Hartley, who had lost his life in an effort to protect the passengers and crew aboard Flight 1320.
Captain Wilbur and John DeVivo were both treated in hospital, and DeVivo was charged with murder and arraigned at East Boston District Court. He was sent to Bridgewater State Hospital for mental evaluation and then to Suffolk County Jail at Charles Street. While awaiting trial in jail, he died. He tied a neckerchief to his cell bars and hanged himself. James Hartley and Captain Wilbur were both proclaimed heroes, and on March 24, 1970, the U.S. Senate passed a resolution that commended them both for extraordinary heroism and competence. In addition, in 1970, James Hartley was posthumously awarded the Flight Safety Foundation Heroism Award, which was established to recognize civil aircraft crew members or ground personnel whose heroic actions exceeded the requirements of their jobs and, as a result, saved lives or property. The award is presented only in years in which a nominee clearly meets the standards for heroism. Eastern Airlines named their training facility the James E. Hartley Training Center. Beneath an engraving of a set of pilot's wings, the plaque that hung there read, Through the memory of First Officer James E. Hartley, who died defending his passengers, fellow crew members, and his aircraft on March 17, 1970, this building and its purposes are dedicated. To the example of Captain Robert M. Wilbur, who, despite his own serious wounds, landed the aircraft safely and skillfully, the people of Eastern Airlines dedicate themselves. Plane Tales is a featured segment of the Airline Pilot Guy Show Aviation Podcast. Find us at AirlinePilotGuy.com.